0: I bring a greetings to you all from Churches of Christ in Queensland, and uh, I'm currently operating in a statewide position where looking after churches across Queensland, uh, which is a little bit of a step away from what uh, I've worked in. For those of you who've known me for a while, I've worked in the regional role in North Queensland for about four and a half years, but for the last 12 months just been, um, I love the phrase, I've been acting up in this other role, and um, that's something that Ben does really, really well, ask my high school teachers. Um, this morning, I want to spend some time in the book of Ephesians. And uh, this, this book has really grabbed my attention this year. You see, the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. Now, the church in Ephesus was a significant church in a significant region, in a very, very important region in the Middle East. And, and Paul is writing to this church. And it's really interesting to note that this church was actually doing exceptionally well. Unlike the Roman church or the Corinthian church where Paul comes out of the gates as you go into Romans or Corinthians and hits them up with some poor theology, Paul doesn't do that in Ephesians because they're a church by and large who are doing quite well. There was minimum conflict in the church. There was good respect for leaders. There was good worship going on and they were growing. Yet Paul writes to them He writes to them and spends the first half of the book, chapter 1, chapter 2, and into chapter 3, encouraging them to find their identity in Christ. And more than that, he says that they are reconciled with Christ and reconciled to one another. You see, the Ephesian church had a lot of Gentiles, as well as Jewish people. now Jewish people and Gentile people of the time did not get along. They didn't sit in the same room together. This church was a group of people who were coming together. If you have your Bibles with you, it's going to come up on the screen, I think, but if you have your Bibles with you, open up to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start there and we'll end up in chapter 2. Let me pray. Father, as we open your word, before we... Dive in and listen to what uh, you have to say in it. I pray that you'll just quieten our minds. Father, some of us will have come off the back of stressful weeks. Some of us are in a season of trial. Some of us are in a season of joy. Some of us are feeling excited this morning. Some of us are nervous. Lord, we're all in a different place and I'm going to pray that through the mystery of your word of who you are to us that you would meet each one of us personally. Lord, you reach out to us. May our posture this morning be reaching back to you father for people in the room who aren't even sure who you are watching online i want to pray that you'll meet them as well that you'll connect with them with something that is tangible and encouraging strengthening, and empowering. Lord, we quiet in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Paul begins Ephesians 1. And I'm not going to go heavily into Ephesians 1. I'm going to go into Ephesians 2. But I'm going to put a bit of a platform here, right? This is Paul, the highly educated scholar of the Old Testament. This is, this is who he is. And he writes to these people who are by and large a healthy church. In fact, if there's any church in all of Paul's churches that I would have loved to have been a part of, it would be the Ephesian church. And he writes to them and he says to them, that they are chosen by God. They are chosen people. They are a chosen people. They are chosen before time. Now he's not talking about before Genesis here. He's going back to John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. Right back then he chose them. He wants us to know that as well. Can you just grab that or in your head right now that before all time before everything whether you wherever you land on the creation story know this that before that God chose you to live for him He says we were predestined in chapter one, he, he wants the Ephesian people, he wants us to know that we were predestined. We weren't an accident. It didn't just happen that it was strategically planned that we would live our lives here on earth. And then he says we were adopted into sonship. We were, we were adopted by Christ into the family. You see, we we look at this word adoption and we think about our foster care work and we think about f- adoption in our context now and we kind of think it like, oh, the person comes and lives in the house. It's more than that. In Old Testament time, when the person was adopted, they changed their fa- the, to the family name. They were considered blood. They were not just the person who at the end of the family was taken on board out of some sympathy. Rather, they were brought into the family. They took on the family name. They had the same inheritances as biological children. They were completely and utterly a member of the family. This is what God wants us to know here in Ephesians chapter 1, is that we were chosen, no accident, predestined before time, and adopted to be in his family. Paul wants them to really wrestle with their identity. Now, why is he writing to the Ephesian church who seems to have everything together and dealing with identity? Friends, if we don't find our identity in Christ, we'll find it somewhere else. I'm absolutely committed and convinced to that, okay? You can push back on me after the service if you want to on this, but here's what I believe. If you do not find your identity in Jesus here on earth, you will find it in something else. And whether that, be, whether that be your political preference or your sporting team or your, the street that you live in or the family name or your job or your, who whatever that is, you will find your identity in something else if it is not in Christ. And Paul wants them to find their identity in him, to be centred and to be, to be identified in him. I suspect, and this is only Ben's words, I suspect that the reason he's writing to the Ephesian church is maybe that there was a pridefulness. We're the Ephesians. We've got it all together. We're not like those Romans. We're not like those Corinthians who get caught up in all of that that heretical rubbish. We're the Ephesians. In our Western culture, one of the biggest trip-ups, I think, is to find our identity in how good we are. In our own telling ourselves, I've got a good job. I live in a good street. I don't swear in the in the lunchroom when everybody else is. I don't tell dirty jokes. I'm a, a good person. Friends, that's pride. And that's not where we should find our identity. And I suspect that Paul's writing to the Ephesian church and saying... I don't care who you are, I don't care how good you are, it is by Christ that you are. Because this is where he begins in chapter 2. He begins in chapter 2 with verse 1 and he says this, As for you, you were dead. What Paul does here is he takes them back to the reality of their situation before Christ. Now, whether or not he's dealing with the Gentiles who were separated from God or the Jewish people who were supposedly God's people, he he doesn't tell us any different here. He says to them all, before Christ, you were dead. To your transgressions and to your sins in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of the world remember here he's talking to the jews and gentiles he's saying to them all you're following the ways of the world and you were dead he begin he continues on in chapter 3 in verse 3 he says this All of us who lived among them at one time gratified the cravings of our flesh and followed the desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath. Paul wants them to know. Don't get big heads. Don't get ahead of yourselves. This is who you are. This is who you were. You see, he uses really strong language in here. He uses the word "dead." Where else in Scripture has someone been noted as being dead, except for the cross of Christ? Where else can you think about in the in the New Testament that jumps out to you? Remember in Luke chapter fifteen, the story of the lost son. Remember the words of the father. He was dead to us. He was gone. He was not here anymore. Paul also says in these verses that we were enslaved. Where in Scripture do we think about slavery? The Israelites, right? You were enslaved. You were caught in Egypt. He's not speaking there. He's saying in your sin, the same slavery that the Israelites went through, you were in your sin and you were condemned just as Christ took on the sin of the world and condemned to a cross. This was the wrath that they deserved. This is the wrath that we deserve. Paul wants to bring them right back to reality. He wants to bring them to the front of their minds that without Christ, this is who they are. And here's the thing it's been my observation that in times I've lived in this space in my life, I'll find hope. Albeit worldly, I will find hope, things that make me feel less than so dead or enslaved, or condemned. But he goes on there in verse 4, and he uses this huge, big word. He uses the word, but. It's a big channel shift, right? And just as quickly as he cascades down to tell them exactly who they were, he now is going to tell them who they are in Christ. He says this, he says, but because of his great love for us, this is the worship piece, right? This is the piece that we go, this is who Christ is for me. But because of his great love for me. John 3.16, this is the verse, John 3.16, worded here in Ephesians. But because of Christ laying down his life for me, out of God's great mercy, I am now. And it just as quickly as he cascades down, he comes straight back out. He says... We are made alive, now alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. He goes on, he says, it is by grace you have been saved. We are now set free. We are not enslaved. We are saved. And, he, and then verse 6, he says, and God raised us up the same as he raised Christ walking out of that tomb. We walk out of the tomb of our life. We walk out of the tomb that we deserve it to be in. And we become Christ." Paul wants the Ephesian people to grasp this because I think he knows, as I know, and maybe you know, that it's a game changer for life. It is a game changer for our entire life. It means that everything that we once knew is now not worth knowing if we don't know Christ. It means that anything that was going to happen is now not going to happen because of Christ. It is by Christ we have been saved. And he 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 labors the point in chapter 3. He says, there's nothing you have done. I don't care how good you are, the Ephesians. I don't care how good you are, Cairns. It is by Christ you have been saved. As I travel around Queensland um, for the last 12 months, as I said, I've been working with a number of churches in different areas, and, I, and I've had the privilege but also the, the difficult task of working with churches in conflict. It's a very sad situation. It's very complex, often, the stories. But that is not that I, how I have ever known you, the Cairns folk, to be. I've never seen the level of conflict in Cairns that I've seen in other places. But that doesn't mean you're any better. It is by Christ that we find our identity. Paul wants us to know that. And maybe you need to be reminded of that this morning or maybe you needed to be challenged or maybe you don't even think that you needed to be reminded of that this morning but I'm telling you It is by Christ and what he has achieved that we have a future. I have a friend of mine who uses the phrase that God makes us better, makes life better and makes us better at life. And I love that phrase, right? Because God not only makes our life better, but he makes us better at living this life that he calls us to. You see, he 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 wants us to know that we are now reconciled to him. That should be our posture of who we are and that should be our identity. If there is anything in your life that you are finding identity in that is higher than that, then I encourage you to deal with that. Because I don't care how good your family name is or how awesome your job is or how amazing your sporting team is or how right you think your political stand is, it is by Christ, family, it is by Christ that we should find our identity. Paul doesn't leave the church there because up until now he's been dealing with us as individuals. But now he turns our attention to who we are together. The ecclesia, the, the coming together of the church. He, he, he brings us to that place. Picking up from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11. He says, Therefore, remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth and you were uncircumcised. He's dealing now with the Gentile people in the Ephesian church. He says, Remember that you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise. He goes on and he deals with the Jewish people. You're separated, but now you're brought together. You see, there's two major lessons from chapter one, chapter two, and half of chapter three that Paul wants us to know is that we are now reconciled to God, but we are also reconciled to one another. In Christ we are now reconciled to one another. The centrality of the church message is that we are reconciled to God and to one another. Interestingly enough, some people construct a Christianity which solely depends on their relationship with Christ, but that's not where it was designed to end. Actually, our relationship with one another is just as valuable how many times have you heard the phrase I don't need to go to church to be a Christian well that is partially true but it's not how you were designed I actually believe we were designed to be in relationship with one another and to come together as the collective. We were designed to come together and complete one another because it's in our coming together that we become what? The bride of Christ. Now let's be clear. Every church everywhere needs renewal and restoration. There isn't a church that I've come across yet that is perfect. But it's in our striving together, in our posture of being reconciled to Christ and having that same level of grace for one another and love for one another as has been demonstrated to us that I think we become something very beautiful. Something very, very beautiful very unique. And it's very different to anything here on earth. You see, friends, the church, I believe as God intended it, was not meant to be full of one type of people. In fact, it was meant to be full of very different people. It was to celebrate its diversity. It was to come together As the unique individuals to form one body. And it's not just you here as the Church of Christ in Cairns. It's you here as the Church of Christ in Cairns, with the Churches of Christ in Queensland, with the Churches of Christ in Australia, with The other denomination churches across Australia that we come together and we become the church. For too long, for too long, friends, regions, cities have desired to be the church on their own. Do you know what we should be praying for our other churches in Cairns? Who are meeting here this morning, wherever they're meeting. We should be praying for them because they, in their uniqueness, complete us. We don't have the perfect everything. God's not going to, on judgment day, go, Oh, come down here, you church of Christ people, because you've got it all right. Stay up there, you lot. He's not going to do that. I don't think he's going to do that. I don't see that in theology. We'll have our differences, sure, but when we major on the same things, we come together and we become one. You see, the church was designed to be a multi-racial, multicultural, diverse in age. One of the healthy signs of a church that I see is when you've got the youngest people here, and I know, and you're celebrating older birthdays. Diverse in gender background, financial status. When I was leading a church in Townsville, we were in the northern beaches, and it was interesting. We would come together as the church when we were church planning. We'd come together, and just over here down near Bushland Beach, there was this road called Goikachir, and we had a a lovely family who were part of our church there who had an elevator in their house. Three-story and an elevator in their house, yet just up the road... Over the other side of the highway, there were people who were living in really small houses owned by the government. It was in our coming together that we encouraged one another. We support one another. We do life together with one another. This is how the church was designed to be. We were designed to have a posture where we are reconciled with Christ and reconciled to one another. And there's there's no difference between us. Like no other human society, different to the soccer club, different to the Lions club, different to the school group, different to any other community group, we were designed to be the church. And this is who God wanted us to be. This is the posture. Paul is harboring this point to the Ephesian church. Because it's in this place you will have the most influence on the kingdom. On those around you who don't know. Friends, let me tell you something. There is nothing more dangerous to Satan than a church who knows who it is in Christ and is unified with one another and lives in peace in its community with other churches serving together. There is nothing more dangerous to Satan on earth than the church. And that's you and I. That's you and I with the posture of it is by Christ. Um, I live down northern beaches of Townsville and I live uh, rather close to the beaches, about uh, 100 metres from the beach. I'm very blessed to be able to live there. and uh, I walk the beach just about every day of my life. I didn't this morning because I left home at quarter to five this morning and, and uh, anybody who was up at that time, hopefully you were praying for me on the trip up because I got here safely, so thank you. Thank um, you. I walk this beach and uh, it's absolutely beautiful. And uh, if we can just go to that first slide, this is a photo of my beach uh, last week. I use the phrase my beach because there's often nobody on the beach when I'm down there. And uh, I really just enjoy walking the beach, but there's something about my beach that really, really, really encourages me. And I go looking for something every time I walk. I do about four, between three and six kilometres every morning with, with my dog And uh, there's something I'm looking for. Can anybody see what it is in that photo? Anybody see? Let's zoom in a little bit, can we? Can we just go to that next photo? There's a particular shell that if I walk, as I said, number of kilometres, I might find one, two or three. I try and find one every time I walk and I bring it home and I put it in a pot plant beside my front door. There's a particular shell there, it's called a cowrie shell. I love these shells. I really, really love them. Because they remind me about who God wants me to be. They remind me very clearly about who God wants me to be. You see, there are thousands of shells on my beach. But as I said, the most amount I think I've ever found after a really, really, really good tide was half a dozen in a four or five kilometre uh, walk. They're not very common, They, but they stand out. And they're in a unique, unique shell. And uh, they have a beauty about them. This is this one that right there. They seem to sit right in the midst of all other shells, but they, they stand out. Sorry, uh, guys. Bit of sand there. They stand out. They have a beauty about them. You can come and have a look at this one later if you want to. I've got literally hundreds of these now. And, uh, but there's something amazing about them. And that is in about five or six years I've been collecting these, I have never yet found one that is upside down. It doesn't matter how big the tide is or how much it gets thrown around or gets tossed around or, or whatever happens. They seem to always be sitting there and sitting proud. This is exactly how this one was sitting when I found it. I haven't found one yet. If they're broken, sometimes they can be on their side. But if they're in their hole like this one is, I have never seen one yet to this day on anything else but sitting up like that. You see, friends, when we find our identity in Christ, we will be one of them, one in a million, but we'll stand out. You know, as Christians, we, we seem to try and work our way in our workplaces, in our schools to fit in. We weren't designed to fit in. For the right reasons, for the Christ in us, we were designed to stand out. And when, no matter what happens, there is a stability in our lives. There is a stability in our lives doesn't matter how much we get tossed up on the beach. When we put our trust in Christ there is a stability in our lives. I pray, I pray that you're reminded of that this morning. I pray that you're challenged by that this morning. And I pray that you think about this this week as you go in, as you be the church, as your posture is in being saved by Christ. On Friday, we celebrated the life of my 98-year-old grandmother. And it was just an enormous blessing to be able to just know that her life was always on track. I'm sure she would tell otherwise if she was still here but you was such a witness to so many and I pray that that's the same for my life too. Father, we want to give you thanks for your word and Lord, I want to pray that we would be a people that stand out, a people that stand firm, a people that radiate who you are. I pray that our posture would always be focused on knowing that you are our saviour. It is not by anything we've done. It's where we find our identity. It's where we find out who we are in knowing who you are. Because, Lord, when we do that, I know that it brings us stability to the beautiful days to the windy days, to the stormy days, and to the big tides, it brings us stability. I pray that we would know that, and we would be reminded of that, just as Paul wanted to remind the Ephesian church. No matter how good they were, he wanted to remind them, remember, but Christ Christ. Lord, if there are people in the room here who are not sure who you are, then I pray that you will just come beside them in a really tangible and present way. Maybe it's the person who's sitting beside them. Maybe it's somebody else here who speaks to them, but Lord, I want to pray that you would speak to them this morning in Jesus' name.